Sorry, just making signs to my wife who's now taken over the computer at the back. She didn't know which button to press, but hopefully. Hopefully it'll be okay. Um, sorry to interrupt your conversations. Um, as Paul has said, uh, we're just going to spend a few minutes thinking about our church finances, uh, which is something that we do at this time uh, every year. Uh, and as Paul has said, if you're a visitor this morning, this doesn't uh, necessarily apply to you, but I hope you might just find what I have to say interesting. In fact, I hope everybody finds it interesting. Um, before we have a quick look back at last year uh, and a look ahead to this year, I just want to reflect for a few minutes on the last five years. Uh, so that's 2018 uh, through to 2022. I wonder what your highlight of the last five years might be. Maybe you got married. Maybe you had a baby or two or three. Uh, maybe you did both of those. Maybe you moved house, maybe you had a fantastic holiday somewhere exotic. Uh, maybe your highlight would purely be surviving COVID, not that we want to be reminded of that. Maybe your favourite sports team did something remarkable. You could probably just leave that picture up there, that would uh, keep you interested. Uh, for Sarah and I, our highlight, I think, of the last five years would be the arrival of these three cheeky monkeys. Um, they are our grandchildren. Um, from left to right, uh, Hannah, James, and Emma. But what about uh, the highlight of the last five years as far as church is concerned? Uh, maybe it's a memorable holiday club, a church weekend away, supporting All Saints Gaboin and St. Mary's Salatin through Steve, Catherine, and others moving there. Maybe it was a particular sermon series. I was thinking back to numbers. I can't quite remember how long ago it was we waded through numbers. Um, that was a highlight for some when we got to the end. <laughs> For me as your treasurer, uh, my highlight of the last five years would be seeing how God has sustained us financially through some quite challenging times. I added it up last week. The total income over the last five years is an amazing 613,000. Uh, and the expenditure over the same period was 625,000. Uh, so that's an overspend in that five years of just 12,000 uh, pounds. I think that is absolutely amazing when you take into the uh, when you take into account the challenges of the pandemic. Uh, and we lost um, or dropped about 30,000 of income when folk moved to Gaboin. Uh, God's faithfulness to us is never ending. I was reminded of the hymn we sometimes sing, Don't Panic, I'm Not About to Do That. Uh, at harvest time, which uh, should be our response, we sing this. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. I hope you find this a real encouragement as we think in a minute about the challenges facing us in 2023, we can take hope and comfort, I trust, from the fact that God has helped and sustained us over many years and will continue to do so as we live lives shaped by the gospel. I just want to spend a few minutes looking back now at the income and expenditure from last year. In 2022, Holy Trinity had the highest ever income and expenditure figures. Our total income was £137,500, uh, which we can split down into these four ways as to where that money came from. 
By far the largest chunk, 105,000, is the total giving by church members, including gift aid. 16,500 was a grant from the newly established Oswestry Gospel Trust, which I'll say a little bit more about in a moment. Uh, we received £11,000 from fees for weddings and the occasion, sorry, for funerals and the occasional wedding. And then uh, £5,000 was a whole host of miscellaneous income, hire of the church, a little bit of bank interest and the like. So you can see that the bulk of the income that the church needs comes from us, all of us, who call this our church. We don't get anything from the Church of England. There's no magic money tree. Uh, as with every parish church in the country, we have to support ourselves. The PCC are very grateful to God for this amazingly generous uh, provision. Uh, and the PCC are also very grateful to everybody who has given a gift during 2022, from the largest to the smallest. Each and every one is just as important. So thank you very much. Last year, our total expenditure was slightly higher than the income, uh, we spent in total 141,500. So where did that money go? Well, 40,000 pounds is what it costs us to have a vicar. Vicars are employed by the Church of England. They're not employed uh, by each local parish church. And our local diocese, the Diocese of Litchfield, have calculated that it costs over 45,000 just to uh, cover the salary, national insurance, pension, and housing of each vicar of which we only have to contribute 40,000. Uh, and that figure, the 40,000, isn't going to rise this coming year, which is great. Uh, so I think that's quite a good value for money. The PCC do employ other staff, and the cost of that was 61,000. So the PCC employs Mark, Andy, Jenny, and Alice. And that figure will obviously rise in 2023, as uh, we'll be employing Andy for a, a full year, rather than just uh, since September. Um, as a curate, James is the only one who's missing off that list. Uh, James is completely free to us. The diocese cover all his costs, his salary, and his housing. Uh, so he can stay as long as he likes. could stay forever, couldn't he? wouldn't cost us anything. Um, 23000 is what it, uh, the costs of admin, ministry, and the running costs of the church. Uh, quite a chunk of the fees that we receive for weddings and funerals have to get passed over to the diocese, uh, which was 9,000 uh, last year, part of which related to the uh, fees we received in 2021. And then finally, 8,500, that's the money that the PCC was really pleased to be able to give away to support a variety of overseas missions and other causes closer to home, uh, including a very well-received gift uh, to the Holy Trinity School Hardship Fund. You'll notice, therefore, that every pound given to Holy Trinity is spent by Holy Trinity for the ministry of Holy Trinity. So overall last year, at the end of the year, there was a deficit of just £4,000. Thank you in particular to those who responded to the appeal uh, in November for extra donations, because at that point the deficit was forecast to be over 9000 uh, it is amazing to see the books very nearly balanced, and God's faithfulness is evidence once again. Just a quick word, as promised, um, about the Oswestry Gospel Trust. You may recall me mentioned in previous years about Mr. John Tilly and the Tilly Fund. 
John Tilley left half his estate to Holy Trinity. And after prolonged, very prolonged legal advice, uh, Paul, Mark Pentelow, and I, uh, as the vicar and wardens, have agreed that a new trust fund should be set up completely independent of Holy Trinity PCC. The objectives of the new Oswestry Gospel Trust are the advancement of the Christian faith consistent with the historic and traditional doctrines of the Church of England in the parish of the church. Sounds very wordy, but that's what it says, and those objectives uh, are absolutely in line with the wording of Mr. Tilly's will. So the funds that uh, are being held by the PCC will be transferred to the new trust. New trustees have been appointed, and the trust is currently being registered with the Charity Commission. The Oswestry Gospel Trust will then be an alternative or an additional way to give so that the work of the gospel can progress further in our community. The trustees of the new trust agreed a grant to Holy Trinity for 2022 to help with the additional costs of staffing, which is what I mentioned a few minutes ago. And they have also agreed grants for the next three years on a tapered basis to help with these costs. But from 2026, Holy Trinity will have to cover all these costs ourselves. Um, that's a very short summary of a very, very long and complex process. Uh, so please do talk with me afterwards if you want to know any more. Uh, let's just look ahead to 2023 for a couple of moments. The PCC have agreed a budget for this year and will continue to do what it can to keep costs under review. But as I've already said, the costs of staffing are going to rise this year. So income will need to go up as well if the books are to balance at the end of the year. Giving by church members will need to rise by £12,000 this year to keep pace with rising expenditure. Now that sounds like a lot of money, and it is, especially if only one or two people had to give that extra money. But let me break it down for a moment. £12,000 in a year equates to £1,000 a month. And if you look around this morning, there are a lot of us here. Um, £1,000 a month divided by 100 people is just £10 a month each, just over £2 a week. That's less than the cup of coffee at Costa or the, uh, the Times newspaper. Not that I expect many of us buy the Times paper each day, uh, but it's apparently £2.50 a day nowadays. Uh, £2 or £2.31, as I think it works out exactly, sounds a lot more achievable. If everybody gave an additional £2.30 each week this year, collectively we would have given an extra £12,000. So what this actually needs is for all of us to play our part. This is everybody's responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of the, of the Church Council or those who have been coming here for a while. We all need to be involved. So how might you respond? I accept that for some giving an extra £10 a month will be a step too far. And that is absolutely fine. There are other ways to support what is going on here through serving and through praying. But I also know that there will be some here this morning who could afford to give more than an extra £10 a month. The key to raising this money is for everyone doing what we can. Maybe you're fairly new to Holy Trinity and have not yet got around to giving uh, in a regular tax-efficient way. Maybe you're not sure how to go about getting that set up. Well, if that is you, please do take the opportunity this morning of uh, 
asking me for the forms, there'll be a pile at the back uh, as you leave. What I would ask all of us to do is something as simple as A, B, C. A, ask God how we should respond to his faithfulness, to his love and to this challenge. B, be sure to do whatever it is you've decided to do. As I know, the easiest thing in the world is to be determined today, now as you're sitting here, to go home and increase your standing order or set up a new one. But then when you get home and discover that you haven't turned the oven on, your lunch is still stone cold, uh, you forget all about it. C, complete the relevant forms, of which, as I've said, there are plenty at the back of the church. As we're reminded in Paul's uh, second letter to, to the Corinthians in chapter 9, he writes the, this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you for listening. Uh, this presentation has been recorded uh, and hopefully will be available on the website if you want to listen to it again. Uh, please do chat with me further over coffee uh, if you would like to, if you have any questions. Thank you. Sally is now going to come and lead us in our prayers. Our Father, as you have turned our hearts and minds uh, towards what the Lord Jesus instructed us to do together, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak clearly to us, that you would grow us in our faith in him, that you would change us by your Holy Spirit, that we would mature and bring greater glory to our Lord Jesus. And we ask in his name. Amen. Uh, please do be seated. Um, <clears throat> Matthew 26 is the uh, place to start. If you have um, a Bible, I don't know. I don't know if the sermon did the sermon outlines get out. Anybody short of a sermon outline that would like one? They're of they're of some use. Um, okay, that's fine. Well, if you do have a sermon outline, right at the bottom, you'll see it says, filling our hearts and minds. What should fill our hearts and minds at this point in the service? What should fill our hearts and minds at this point in the service? Over these last few weeks, we've been working through the elements that make up our weekly gathering. God speaks first and calls us to worship him. We confess, here they are, we confess our sins. And as we confess our sins, we hear the full assurance of God's word to us. That we are his children, that we belong to him, we are his family and his household. And then last week we were thinking about as this household that is called and made into his people, we commit ourselves to him. We commit ourselves to his agenda. So it's his word that changes us. That's what we're looking for when we come and listen to his word. We're looking to be different when we leave than when we arrived. We're praying that his will be done. And not ours, but his. His. 
And we're praying, as we've been thinking particularly this morning, um, we, uh, that his work be provided for. And we're very thankful uh, for the way that God has sustained the work of the gospel amongst us. It's a mark of the Father's love for the Son, that the Father provides for the gospel of his Son to be available and proclaimed uh, in the world. So as he's called and constituted as his family, as his called and committed household, as we've come through those parts of the service, what should our hearts and minds be full of? What should fill our hearts and minds at this point as we come to communion? Uh, Communion, uh, you'll have heard the word Eucharist uh, or the Lord's Supper. Uh, We can't use Eucharist or the Lord's Supper because it doesn't begin with C. So we use communion, but my favourite expression is the Lord's Supper. That seems to make the the easiest one. Um, And in the first place, of course, this is something that we should do. Jesus commands it. Take, eat, drink, do. And he says, do this. So whatever he's doing when he says, do this, is what we should be doing. And at, at its most basic... That involves bread on the table here and wine here. And it's something that is shared together. There's a oneness about everything that I'm saying today because we are God's household around his his table. But there's a very clear focus for this bread and wine. Do this in remembrance The whole of the narrative that Helen read to us from Matthew's Gospel, almost every verse points you towards the death of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is obviously talking about that as he talks about the bread and the wine, his body and his blood. The bread bread has been broken, the wine has been poured out, just as his body and blood, broken and poured out for us. A very clear focus in remembrance of me. It's all about his death for us. So, do this in remembrance of me. A clear focus on his death. But did you notice that twice in those verses, Jesus speaks of thanksgiving? So this remembering, this focusing on Jesus' death is full of thanksgiving. So um, at the bottom of the sheet, you've got filling our hearts and minds. There's two things already. At this point in our service, our hearts and minds ought to be full of thanksgiving because they're full of remembering the Lord's death for us. These are the the things that we should be focusing on at this part of our service, Uh, not kind of worrying about how much movement there might be in the building or whether there's a a little child making a lovely noise uh, from the back. 
They're sounds of the covenant. You should, enjoy, you, could, you should encourage children's noises in church services. They're part, part of the household. Um, and we're, we're worried about all those sorts of things and, and so on. But what we're learning this morning is that what should fill our hearts and minds? Well, I'm, I'm going to ignore those distractions because I'm overwhelmed with thanksgiving for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for me. Now, there are all sorts of questions that arise. Don't they? How often do you think we should do it? How much bread and how much wine should we have? And there are different traditions within the Christian church about, about that. Uh, in the Church of England, the tradition is the Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. Uh, that's as reasonable a tradition as any. Um, but those sorts of questions often miss the point because it's not about how often we do this or, or how much there is. It's about how well we do this. How well do we do this in remembrance of Jesus? And because everything is by faith, doing it well means trusting Jesus more. That's how we do this in remembrance of him, better and better. We do it better and better by trusting him more. Wherever the table is and wherever the minister stands and whatever vessels we use and whatever kind of bread we have, fine. We do this well, the more we trust in Jesus. In fact, the point of all these sermons about what we're doing as we gather on a Sunday morning, is that we'd understand more about what we're doing so that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened. So that we would know the hope to which God has called us. So that we see more, and we see more, more clearly as we are remembering him. Our trust grows, our eyes are open, our trust is alive, and we do it well. So we need better understanding to do it better and better. And Jesus helps us in two ways. First, he says, in effect, and Matthew certainly and all the gospel writers, that this meal is about the Passover, because it's the Passover meal. First three verses that Helen read, each one mentioned the Passover. We're supposed to recognize this as Passover. The thanksgiving, the celebration, the remembrance of freedom from slavery. Uh, if, you, if, you can't, if you don't know the Exodus story, come to Holiday Club. You'll get this all over again because we're back in Egypt following the story of the children of Israel through Exodus. The Passover meal was given to them to celebrate when they were freed from slavery and to remember that and their deliverance from death. Freed from slavery and delivered from death. If you were with us on New Year's Day, Andy reminded us that John the Baptist turned up and said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover lamb, the lamb who delivers from slavery, not from Egypt, but from sin, 
and delivers from death, who sets us free from sin and death. And so as Jesus is talking about this body and his, this, this, this bread and this wine being his body and blood, as he's talking about his death and we're remembering that, he's doing that in the context of the Passover meal. So he's saying this, it's, just, it's not just sort of me dying, but if you want to understand what that means, then go and have a think about the Passover. And what it means to have been someone who is enslaved to sin and is now set free from sin because I died for you. Who was faced with death but has now been set free from death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Take and eat that. Drink that. Christ's death brings it. So again, our hearts and minds full of thanksgiving for the death of Jesus because he delivers us from sin and death. Uh, More could be said about the Passover... But in Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus wants us to see more than the Passover because he uses the phrase, the blood of the covenant. So he signaled, the Passover strongly signaled in Matthew, and Jesus strongly points us to Exodus 24 by using that phrase, the blood of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So it's the only page turn I'll ask you to do if you're in your Bibles. So you can nip back to Exodus uh, chapter 24 uh, if you wish. Now there's only one meal in Exodus 24 and it's the most astonishing meal. They saw God and they ate and drank. Just let that sink in. They saw God and they ate and drank. It's Moses and Aaron, Abihu and Nadab and the, 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 the elders of Israel representing all the people. They saw God and they ate and drank. Now in terms of the Exodus story as a whole, it's the same pattern as, uh, as the service. The, the, the exodus came first, of course. The service is an expression of it. They're, they're called. And they're delivered from sin and death. And they're, they're, they're made into God's people at Sinai. And they're given the law to which they're to be committed. And then they come and they eat with God. The presence of God expressed through the rest of Exodus in the whole long section about the tabernacle with God dwelling with his people. So they're called, they're they're, uh, delivered from sin and death, made his people, and they're given the law. And they commit to it. And you see it in microcosm in this chapter. Who calls them? Verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord. The Lord calls. And they express, they've been made made God's people back at Sinai a few chapters before. 
They're called here and they express exactly the commitment that we were thinking about last week. And they do it three times, just in case we missed the commitment. Verse 3, everything the Lord has said, we will do. And then twice in verse 7, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. That's a commitment to God's agenda rather than their own. They're called, they're constituted, they get committed, and as God's called and committed people, they come and they see God and they eat and drink. They've been sprinkled with the blood of the covenant. They are God's people. They're marked out as belonging to God. You can see that in verse 8. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. They're set apart for him. They're purified. They're bought at a price. This meal is not for everybody. It's for those who have been called, forgiven, and are committing themselves to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter picks up this language in the first verses of his uh, first letter, talking of God's chosen people. He says, you have, who have been chosen according to God's foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled, just like in Exodus, with his blood. This is a unique group of people. This is the household of God. This is the meal in Exodus 24 for those sort of people. The called, constituted, committed people of God coming to a meal. And so by using this phrase, the blood of the covenant, Jesus is saying that when you do this in remembrance of me, yes, you know that I am the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. But remember Exodus 24 as well. Remember that they saw God and ate and drank. Now, if you ask the question of the Bible, when will we see God and eat and drink? There's a really obvious answer. The heavenly banquet. The wedding feast of the, note, lamb. That's when we will see God, where death and sin and evil have been completely destroyed, everything's been made new, We will see God and eat and drink with him. Something of those verses in Exodus uh, 9 to 11, they prefigure that great hope that we have. Let me just read those verses 9 to 11. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. 
But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. When will we do that? We look forward. They saw God and they ate and drank. Um, Paul, there's always a note. As we come to this table, therefore, our hearts and minds should be filled with hope. Because Jesus is saying it's pointing us towards that feast where you see God and eat and drink. There's always a forward eye. Paul writes, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We must come to this table with thanksgiving, full of, because of our full understanding of the Lord's death and full of hope. But it still remains the case that this is something that we do now all the way until we get to that future day. Whenever you do it, until. So it is something we still do now. So how do we see God and eat and drink now? Where do you see God most clearly? Not in the future, when we're in heaven. Not in the past, on Exodus 24, like the elders of Israel did. But where do we see God most clearly? Here's a man who saw. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man is the Son of God. Um... Emily went out to look at the sunrise this morning. She, she likes to do that from time to time. Uh, she's a teenager who can get up, which is always a good thing, I think. Um, she went out to see the sunrise this morning. Um, and we were trying to work out where, where's the clearest place to see it from. Because you could just look out the window. Or do you go up to uh, the race course? Or is Ridicruci Woods better? Or Rodney's Pillar? How long have you got? So where's the clearest place to see it from? Well, what's the answer to that when it comes to seeing God? Well, the answer to that is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the clearest demonstration of everything that God is. His love, his justice, his power, his faithfulness. It is most clear, most detailed, uh, in, in, in greatest relief when we look to the cross. So what happened to the centurion. When he saw Jesus die, he worked out who God was. Paul says this later on in Galatians. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. This is where you really see who God is. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Hang on a minute. 
the Galatians didn't see Jesus crucified. What Paul is saying in this verse is that when the gospel of Christ crucified is preached, we see Jesus most clearly. When the gospel is put before us, we see what God is like. The one who came and gave his life as a ransom for many. The one who loved us and gave himself for us. Paul singularizes that. The one who loved me and loved you and gave himself for me and for you. Jesus is saying then, see me. See me in the gospel. See me in the gospel preached. See me in the bread and the wine. See God and eat and drink with me. And it is astonishing as we grow in our understanding of the cross what it is that we do see. We see his love. He gave his life as a ransom for us. Bought at a price. To look at that and to eat and drink until we finally in heaven see God fully and eat and drink. Isn't it astonishing, verse 11 in Exodus? But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. You might have wondered why we have the table this way round. Um, it's a kind of English tradition, but the, the, um, the host sits at the head of the table. And the servant serves up the food. And the people are invited. So when we say, you know, um, uh, draw near with faith, don't hear my invitation to you to draw near with faith and come and eat and drink. It's Christ who invites you to his table. And I stand here because I don't, I don't want to be the one inviting you to Christ's table. Christ invites you. Do this, he says. I'm just serving up as a servant. The preaching of the gospel is exactly the same. The scriptures are God's word to us. Andy and James and, and Mark and I and others, we just serve up as servants at table. Christ's word to you, his people. Well, Augustine called the bread and wine the visible gospel of the Lord Jesus. The preached gospel and the visible gospel. So we had the table down there last time. We've had it at the back for a while. We put it here today. I'd like you to be able to see it, to see the bread and to see the wine. Because that's what Jesus is doing. So what are our hearts and minds to be full of as we come to the... Well, we're simply to be enthralled by Jesus as we come to this table. 
That's our hearts and minds as we come to this table. And to get up out of our chairs and to walk to this table is to say, yes, Jesus has invited me through his death and I will come and eat with God. Um, there was some, I know there's some discussion about whether you like sitting down and having it all brought to you and blah, blah, blah. I think you can be a bit half-hearted that way. It's easier to be half-hearted. But to get out of your chair this morning and to come to this table is to be responding to Jesus' invite to you, delivered from sin and death, committed to his agenda, to eat and drink with thanksgiving, with him, at his table, as his household. You see, we do this well the more we trust in the Lord Jesus. Don't be distracted by any of the little details that go around having this many people in a building like this with whatever, all, all those sorts of things. Don't be distracted by that. Be enthralled by the good news of the Lord Jesus who himself invites you. Do this in remembrance of me, full of thanksgiving, full of hope. Jesus Christ, clearly portrayed before our eyes as crucified for us. One household, one people sharing the same enthrallment with Jesus as we eat together. Pray for one another while we do it. Rejoice in our unity in him. Do this in remembrance of him. Andy's going to lead us.